so um, bad words. There's a lot of bad words in our culture today, and a lot of you know words that you know are just not socially acceptable. That you know, I mean, cuss words and bad words are kind of a funny thing, right? Because they kind of change over time, and sometimes you know, there's words that were bad words at one time, and then later on they just kind of become acceptable, and 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 then sometimes there's words that were acceptable for a time, and then they become bad words, and. And then there's, you know, just different, you know, people, even within the same culture. And for some people, one word would be a bad word. And, and then for another, you know, family, that, that's not a big deal at all. They would use that word all the time. And so this morning, I, I, I want to start by using some bad words. So for those of you who uh, might be a little more sensitive to these things, you might want to cover your ears. You know, any children in the room certainly want to cover their ears as well. They don't need to be hearing these things. But I just wanted to, you know, kind of get it out in the open. These are some of the bad words in our culture that we need to recognize. And you you know they're there. And, And so here we go. First one, salesman. I know, I know. Can't believe you heard that in a church by the pastor. Next one, chairman. Oh, my. Bad one. Uh, here's, here's perhaps the worst of them all. Mankind. Can you believe I just said that? Mankind. That's right, mankind. I said it. I'll say it, I'll say it again. Mankind. I don't mind. I'm going to say it again. Mankind, right? Just put on my little dory hat there. That was fun. Uh, anyway. Masculinity, another bad word. Patriarchy, another bad word. So, so how did we get here? Uh, these are words that for many years and for decades, and maybe even centuries in a sense, they, they were words that were just kind of, they, they weren't bad words. People used them all the time, and people understood what they meant, and it was no big deal. So, so what happened why, in our culture at this time, are those words so blasphemous? Why are they such bad words that we can't use them anymore? Well, it starts maybe a long time ago, but in our country at least, the last several years, several hundred years, we have been a culture that has kind of developed out of a traditional patriarchal cultural perspective. Uh, traditional patriarchal, in, in other words, you know, the idea that cultures have existed for, you know, for probably 10,000 years about that is that where, where human beings started to gather as families and, and even other families together and became a culture. Uh, as we gathered, we always and started out this way, this patriarchy, this, this idea that, that men were kind of in charge, that, that men were the ones who kind of made the big decisions. They were the, men were the ones who kind of led the way. They were the leaders of those families and of those cultures. This, this is a, a tradition and this is an ex- experience that all humanity has experienced for the last, again, 10,000 years. And in American culture, when it started a few hundred years ago, it started as a traditional patriarchal, patriarchal culture. And, and patriarchal, I'm having a hard time with that word all of a sudden, patriarchal culture, because it's such a bad word, right? I mean, I, I'm just not used to saying it. Um, patriarchal culture actually came out of something that was quite natural, actually. And, and what was natural was the reality that we needed, as a culture, to survive, we needed strength. 
We needed physical strength. We needed the strongest among us in our families to be those who would protect our families and provide for our families. We needed that strength in order to survive. Secondly, another natural reality of this is if we are going to survive as a family or as a culture, we needed to somehow make sure that we could procreate, that we could continue to extend our family and our culture through having children. And women were the ones who had those children, and so naturally we wanted to protect them so that basically the name would continue, that it wouldn't get snuffed out. And so men were the ones who fought the battles. Men were the ones who went and provided because the women were at home and we, they were valuable. They were important to be able to extend our family, to extend our culture, to keep it going for all time. So it was a very natural reality. It came about because of these natural realities. However, over the years and over the few hundred years that America has existed, cultures have changed. And we are experiencing something that mankind has never experienced in all of its history. A time when physical strength isn't as important. That, that, you know, we don't necessarily need the physically strong in order to protect our families and to protect our cultures. Matter of fact, you could say technology is beginning to take over that role. And so we need the, you know, the, the, the guys that have the brains that can understand computers and understand, and, and women as well, just the people who can understand these things. Also, there's, a less, there's less threat for our survival. Uh, you know, even the wars, I mean, how long has it been since we've had a world war? where really a culture was in threat of being totally destroyed. Now, certainly in the Middle East and maybe in Africa, there's been times, or even in South America, where there's times where small, these smaller countries, their culture is in danger of being eradicated. But here in America, it's been a couple of generations almost now that we've really been threatened. And so our culture is changing. And so the natural realities that created a patriarchal culture are no longer there at least not in the same way. Also, we've gotten to where we are where these words are bad because of the failure of men. Men have had a tendency to oppress women, to hold them back and to limit them, and to, to, to not allow them to be involved in things that they probably could have been and should have been involved in, to limit their freedoms and their rights, We've also had a tendency to abuse women, to disrespect them, to manipulate and to use them and take advantage of them. And so you see a culture that is now changing, rapidly changing, away from what has always created the purpose for a patriarchal society and the reality that although not all men are bad, many men, enough men have been bad in this and have oppressed and have abused women that now these words have become something that is a bad word to use. It's salesperson. It's chairperson. Because we don't want to make it just a male thing. We don't want it just to be mankind. We want it to be humankind. Out of these cultural changes and the failures of men, we have this all culminating in the rise of feminism in the 50s and 60s, eventually with the creation of now, 
National Organization of Women in 1966. An organization that was created in, basically, in, in the, the main reason to be created was for social and political uh, reasons, to, to fight for freedoms for women, to fight for the rights and equality of women. They were seeking, and they've done good things, they, they were seeking to equalize the playing field in the workplace, which was unequal, and it, it was a reason for it. We needed that. They were seeking to empower women as well, to rec- help them to recognize themselves what they could do, and helping men to recognize that women aren't just to stay home and take care of kids, that there's so much more that they can do. So there are some good things that came out of that, but unfortunately, the feministic movement and, and the NOW organization has done some overreach. They're also in the business of deconstruction of history. To, to try to paint the picture that patriarchal societies and cultures were all evil and bad. It was all about oppression. They, they're trying to ignore the natural realities for why, those, why patriarchies existed. We have de- they are also seeking to deconstruct uh, the gender roles and identities, to, to blur the lines between genders, so that you know, we, we don't even look at anyone as male or female, that we just look at them as human. And in part, there's some good things with that, but when you take that to extreme, it can be very ugly, and we're starting to see some of that ugliness. Their overreach continued to promoting women not just to be equal with men, but now women to be over men. Every commercial that we see that involves a male and a female, the male is foolish, weak, stupid, and the wife, the woman, is powerful. The man, the the woman is the hero, the the man is zero, right? Right? And, and just totally changing the perspective here, trying to actually promote women above men, not even just equal. And then finally, I think there's this hostility that they have now created and are actually pushing towards masculinity. That all things masculine are not just to be critica- criticized, but they're to be eliminated completely. We have young boys that are now growing in our schools growing up in our schools, and every time they show any kind of aggression, every time they show any kind of uh, uh, desire to, to, to assert themselves or to be protective or defend themselves, they're not just criticized for those behaviors. They're saying, no, 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 you cannot act that way ever. That is evil and wrong, and you need to get rid of, eliminate that completely. And so we have men that just, young men that don't know who they are, don't understand what it means to be a man. I can certainly spend a whole message just talking about this reality. But I want to focus my attention this morning on how these uh, perspectives and these uh, new perspectives of culture have influenced and are impacting the church as well. Because I want to get to the important part of us calling God as Father. So what are those, those criticisms? There is no clearer example, actually, in uh, the feministic movement than the church of why patriarchal systems are bad, in their opinion. Male leadership, they would say, is totally wrong, and the church is the greatest example of where male leadership is strong and where it should be destroyed. 
They see it as, again, uh, the only reason for male leadership in the church is because of a, a history and a tradition of cultural patriarchism. And it's, it's, it's just, that's where it comes from, and that's the only reason for it, is because men have been oppressing women for all of time, and they just continue to do so, and the church is promoting that. They say that uh, male leadership is promoting the oppression of women. The fact that we have only male pastors means that women are being put down and they're not being allowed to be who they, have, they should be able to be. They, they say that pro, uh, male leadership in the church is promoting uh, the devaluing of women. That, that actually that we're, we're just saying that they're lesser people and they're, they're lesser e, uh, uh, human beings and so they shouldn't have the ability to do the things that men do. And so they have been for, uh, for decades now demanding changes in our churches and we've seen some of those changes that are happening. The first one uh, that I will address is the gender-inclusive language in our scriptures. Things like mankind are being replaced in the Bible. Even though that is the word that was used in the Greek or in the Hebrew, they're replacing that to use gender-inclusive language. Humankind, man and woman, brothers and sisters. James 1, verse 2, consider it, pure brother, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's how I memorized it. It's now in the NIV, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Okay, so we've changed the gender-inclusive gender language. And this is not all bad, don't get me wrong, because there's this reality that within that, when the, the term brothers does, is inclusive. It does include the, the female side of things as well. But we, this is the, the marching orders of the feministic movement is to remove those gender inclusive, that gender-inclusive language from Scripture. Also, women as pastors. The Assemblies of God movement, United Methodist movement, American Baptist movement, just a few that uh, may be more popular that uh, are now allow women as lead pastors and elders in churches. Again, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but the motivation oftentimes for these changes is because of the pressure of the feministic movement in our culture that is changing. The last demand and the one that I want to focus on today is that our, now our culture and the feministic movement is demanding that we change the name of the first person of the Trinity. The term father is considered to be a bad name. It's a bad word to use for God because it's male. And, and the only reason that we call God Father is because of a patriarchal society that we've grown up in. And that God, we all know, has no gender. God is genderless, right? He's just spirit. He's just is. He just exists. I am, he says. And so because he's not male or female, then why do we call him father? Well, it's got to be patriarchal. And to call him father is oppressive to women. It devalues women. It elevates men, and that's wrong. And so we know, must remove his name or change his name and remove all the male pronouns for God and even substitute God our mother in place of God our father. Perhaps the most blatant use of this was in a book that was quite popular back 15, 20 years ago, maybe now, The Shack. I guess it was only about 10, 12 years ago. but The Shack, where God is portrayed as a woman at one point in that, that book. So, patriarchal. It, 
It's wrong for us to think, and it's wrong for the feminists to think that God as Father is based on patriarchy. See, see the Bible is actually quite consistent in that it is always countercultural. So to accuse the, accuse Scripture as simply uh, being influenced by the culture, the patriarchal culture of the time, and that's why we use God the Father, is, is just foolishness. It's not true. The Bible is always relevant to the culture, but it is not controlled by the culture. If it were controlled by the culture, we wouldn't have all the negative stories in the hero, about all the heroes in Scripture. Every, every one of the greatest guys and leaders, leaders in, in, this, in the Bible, are all, they all, we see their dirt. Hey, Moses, right? He, he blew it at the end because he, you know, he struck the rock and said to talk to the rock. David, I mean, man after God's own heart. Adultery, murder, I mean, all these, I mean, just bad guy, right? If it was just culturally influenced, we wouldn't have those negative stories. We also need to recognize that the Bible is not just written by man. It is God-inspired. God is referred to throughout the Bible as Father. Jesus calls him Father. It is not that man decided to write that God was going to be Father. It wasn't man who decided that God was Father. It was God who called himself Father. It was God who said to those who were writing, My name is Father. It is God who defines what a father is, not man. See, we, we oftentimes think about fathers, and those of us who have had bad fathers, we struggle with this, you know, uh, God as father image. Because we think, well, my dad wasn't a very good dad, and so how do I understand how I relate to this God who is a father? And if he's like my dad, then... But we always are looking at man and saying that it's because of man, and that's how we define God. But we need to understand it's the actual opposite of that, that it is God who has defined himself as father, and we are trying to be like him. It's different. It's, it's, it's not us defining him. It's him defining us. We have a perfect father, and that is our heavenly father, and we have human fathers who strive to be like him, but they're never going to be like him. Father is not patriarchal. It is not a gender. It is a title. Is it oppressive? No, it's not oppressive either. The Bible actually promotes the respect for women well above what the culture would have promoted at the time. Again, countercultural. It condemns the abusiveness of leadership. It says that, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. It says, promotes this idea of, 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 of servant leadership, not leadership that is oppressive and holding people down. It's about leadership that is building others up and sacrificing for those who they, who they lead. Father leadership is not oppressive. The term father is not oppressive to women because it's not about ability or limitation. It's about function. What about inequality? Is the term father for God, is it, does it... Does it promote inequality. No, because the Bible throughout supports equality. Everywhere, all over the place. All are one in the Lord. 
There is no male or female. There's no slave nor free. We're all one in the Lord. It promotes equality. Even go back to a creation account. It wasn't just Adam who was made in the image of God, but male and female, they were made in the image of God. The term father does not elevate men and devalue women because it is a term that is not about value or importance. It's a term that's about a role. So how do we define father? If, if, if father is just a title, if it's just a function, if it's, if it's just a role, then we could just substitute almighty God instead of father. Why, why do we have to use a male terminology to define God? Why father? Because father doesn't just communicate title, function, and role. It communicates relationship. God is in relationship. God the Father is in relationship with His Son. He is His Son not because He birthed Him, but because He begot Him. It is Father to the Son who He begot and to the Spirit whom He sends. So in the, in the Godhead, we have this relationship. In the Godhead, he is referred to by Father, not just from his Son, Jesus, but also from the Spirit. The name of the Godhead is, and again, this is not gender. The name of the Godhead is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the name. But it's not just a relationship in the Godhead, it's a relationship with his creation, with us. You see, we, we can say that God is creator, that, that he was the one who created all of this around it, that he developed it, that he, he put it together, that he made it happen, that he, he was the one who, who, who spoke and it came to be. But is he just a creator? Because if he's just a creator, then he can do all of this and then walk away. He doesn't have to be involved. He just, he's just a God who created and that's a great thing, and it's a beautiful thing, and a powerful thing, and a thing that changes us. But, is that it? No, he's Father. Which means that those he created, he loves. He didn't just get the ball spinning and then walk away. This is why he's Father. He's not just Creator. God is Lord, which, which means he's sovereign, that, that he's in control that he can do what he wants, that he has the authority on the earth to do whatever he wants. And he could do that. He could dictate to us how we should live and where we should go and the morality of our lives. And he could do that as Lord. But he's not just Lord, he's Father. He's in relationship with those that he is drawing into to do his, to live his, to do his will. As Father, He walks with those He is Lord of. God is a force. He's powerful. Omnipotent God influences. He can do whatever He wants, not just because He has the authority, but because He has the power to do it. He can force us to do His will. He can force all of creation to do His will, but then we would simply be robots and slaves, and we do not have a God who is simply a force. We have a God who is a Father. 
who empowers the ones who are his. It's about a relationship, not just about a title. But everything that I've shared is not about gender. God's concern is not to communicate gender to us. His concern is to communicate who He is. And He's a God who does all of these things, but He's a God who's in relationship with us. It is not about God grabbing onto the, again, I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. It's not about God grabbing onto the father, the human father perspective and attaching himself to that to try to be an example for us to understand. That is not what is happening when God defines himself as father. He is not reaching down into a human concept and then attaching that to himself in order to say, this is kind of what I'm like. That's not what he's doing. He is father. He defines what father means, and then he passes that on to his creation. See, we have defined father as male. God doesn't define it as male. He defines it as this is the title that I hold. These are the responsibilities that I have. This is the relationship that I'm in with you. Some of the things that he does as father is, first of all, he names us. He, he names us. This is, this is the role that he plays in father. He, he, he's one who names us. He knows us. He knows us perfectly. And, and naming us is an important thing. It's, it's passing on the name. You know, for, for me, I'm a Vandemark. And my dad passed his name on to me. And I remember as a kid, there were some times when I did some foolish things and some dumb things and some bad things. I know, it's surprising. But when I would do those things, a number of times my dad would come in and he was not a big disciplinarian. He was not someone who, I, I, don't, I don't ever remember getting spanked by my dad. And most of the time my dad would sit in the, on the couch and, and my mom would be, telling me what, what, and, and he would just kind of sit there. But every once in a while, my dad would get up and he'd say, this is not the way, my son, how Vandemarks behave. He gave me identity. He said, you're a Vandemark. That's not how we act. And this is the very thing that our God and Father does for us. He says, you're a child of mine. This is not how we act. So God the Father names us. He defines us for our benefit, and we accept his defining for our benefit. He's also a leader. A leader is somebody, in the, in the way that God has defined it, the leader is someone, the father is someone who goes before us. A leader does not stand in the back in the midst of battle and say, go get them, guys. The leader, in God's perspective as father, is the one who is out in front He's the one that's clearing the way. You know, I, I've done a fair amount of hiking in my life, and I never liked being in front on the trail. Why? Anyone? Spider webs and branches and all kinds of stuff, right? 
<laughs> Snakes, exactly. Thank you very much. We just saw one in Orlando. It was scary. It was black and crazy. Oh, anyway. Uh, so yeah, you didn't want to be in front because you got all the, you kind of had to kick everything out of the way. You know, it, 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 <laughs> I just remember, we used to hike on some trails where there'd be horses sometimes, right? And so you'd come along and the person, per, person in front was supposed to call back for everybody else whenever they stepped in or saw, hopefully before they stepped in, you know, horse pucky, right? And so you just call out, pucky! And then you hear it call everybody, pucky! As they walk by, pucky! You know, anyway, so <laughs> the leader is out in front. He's the one clearing the way. This is what Father does. He goes before us for our benefit, and we follow Him again for our benefit. Not for His benefit. Protector. Again, He's the Father who fights for us. He's not the one just instructing people. He's not just, you know, the, the sin of David with Bathsheba was because he was the general of the army and he was back home in his house chilling out while his army was on the battlefield. And God was like, no, 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 no. You are the general of the army. You are in the front lines, buddy. This is how we do fatherhood in the kingdom of God. The protector puts himself at risk. He leads the way. He leads in, into the battle. And he does it, and he defends us for our benefit. And we trust, again, for our benefit, not his benefit. He's a provider as well. He's a father who meets our needs. You know, it's not like the animal kingdom. I don't know if you guys ever watch National Geographic, you know, and the, you know whether it be lions or some wild animal or whatever, and they're showing them, you know, getting their kill and all that kind of stuff. When, when that happens, who eats first? Who eats first? The males, the biggest, meanest, ugliest guy first because he chases everybody else off. He's like, I'm getting my portion, and then when I'm done, the rest of you get some. This is not the way it is in the heavenly kingdom of God, right? He is a heavenly father who he, he eats last. He is a provider who cares for us first. He gives us what we need, and when we're done, then if he needs anything, which he doesn't because he's God, right, then he takes his portion, right? He blesses us for our benefit. We worship, again, for our benefit. He doesn't get anything out of this. This is the Father perspective that God is giving us. He is defining Father. Father as supporter. The one who helps us. The one who helps us to, to, be, to, to, to be successful in this world. He's the one who's on the sidelines cheering us on. In the, the book, uh, Four Pillars of a Man Heart by Stu Weber, I don't know if you've read it, but if you haven't, you should. It's a great book, and it talks about servant leadership. And one of the beautiful, most beautiful images in this book is him talking about being a king a, a, as a leader in his home and, and how he, his job is not to make sure that everybody is serving him and taking care of his needs, but his job is actually to, in the first thing in the morning, to walk around his kingdom, and in the last thing at night, to walk around his kingdom, to make sure everyone is secure, everyone is safe, everybody has what they need, that they're, they're in an atmosphere where they can be successful. And this is heavenly fathership, fatherhood. This is what God is giving us as the definition of what it means to be a father. A father who helps, who cheers us on. He celebrates us for our benefit, and we surrender for our benefit. 
And in all of this, God the Father gets nothing except for the love of his family, which he longs the most for. Uh, worship team, why don't you actually come up now, please? And I'm just a couple more thoughts on this, and I feel like I'm not done, but it's just one of those topics that we could go on for, but with. But um, the, the last couple things I want to say is, as fathers in the room, as I prepared this message as a father, already knowing because I have adult children, so I've been through it and just spent a weekend with my daughter, last, my youngest daughter graduating from college and all of that. I, boy, I know my failures. I, I, I know how I screwed up my kids, right? <laughs> and I think all, we, all of us fathers have felt that. But, but then you preach a message like this on Father's Day, and you go, oh, well, yeah, that's no big deal. I just got to be like God the Father. easy. But but I guess I want to say this again, that none of us can do it. None of us can be God the Father. He has given us an image of fatherhood that is impossible for us as men to fulfill. But here's another piece. I think that it's not meant for just the father, the human father, to try to fill that role. Because God is not gender. Father is not male. We actually need both the father and the mother to try to fill the roles of fatherhood that God gives us. And and even then, we can't do it but we get closer when we come together as father and mother and try to do and fulfill the things that God has given us. To, to, to do this, to, to fill, fulfill this image of fatherhood that is impossible. May we, may we recognize that God is our father. May we all trust him, lean in him, and may we help our children to lean into him as well, being honest with our children about our failures and our weaknesses and our inability to be the father that he has called us to be. And may we partner with our wives in this and stop saying, no, no, this is my role. It is not just the man's role. It is our role together as husband and wife, to seek to fulfill the role that God has created for us in order to love those who we have created. Amen.